Hello and welcome to the weekend update. I'm Christopher Gallagher and today we're going to be looking to preview the match against Aberdeen on Saturday. It's a 3pm kickoff at Celtic Park. So on today's weekend update we've got Christian who will be doing some opposition analysis uh, looking at how Aberdeen will set up and how Celtic can counter that and then we'll be joined by Glenn from the Red Tinted Glasses podcast, an Aberdeen fan podcast and he'll give us the Aberdeen point of view. We actually go on to discuss potential managerial appointments and what Aberdeen fans should be expecting from uh, where the club are currently. We covered all the news on the Cynic Weekly with Paul Carlin and of course Christopher Samani which is in your RSS feed. It's on the app and it's available via the website so you can check that out. We covered everything that's kind of came up over the last week or so. Um, obviously the Green Brigade have released a video today talking about the Jock Steen stand being potentially converted to a safe standard. We'll discuss that in a little bit more detail on the agenda on Monday. This weekend we have the reaction to the Aberdeen game which we'll be previewing today. That reaction will be dropping after the game. Uh, We'll be recording that live from a secret location in town. Uh, And then on Sunday we have the Cynic Chronicles which looks at the Demolition Derby the 6-2 game from August 2000. Uh, We go into a lot of detail into that game and that will be the start of the build-up to the huge League Cup final which will be taking place next weekend so have a look out for that. So without further ado let's start let's go to uh, Christian Wolf with some opposition analysis. It's Tactics Talk with our good friend Christian Wolf as we do every Friday. Hello Christian how the hell are you? Great you've invited me on to talk about stats and tactics so that's that's my jam. That's your jam. That's, that's your jam. my jam. Um, Aberdeen uh, on Saturday. It's a 3pm kickoff. It's the big game. Before we talk about anything in regards to okay. stats and tactics and, and how Aberdeen set up, is this a good tie for Celtic before the cup final? I was going to use a cliche on paper. Yeah, I, I think it is because this is a team, an Aberdeen, who's... We can maybe come on to this, but especially on the Goodwin, it's, it's a bit of a mess. You know, a team that's really haven't been doing as well with the players they have, but they've done it for quite specific reasons in terms of how they've been setting up, the different ways they've been setting up. And I think overall, they've just been a team that's really not found an identity in a way, and even though they have good players. And I think it's usually a team that suits Celtic quite well, especially at home, because it, they haven't... I'm saying all this with a caveat that, obviously, in the Pitodri game, last time we were going to come on to. But usually, they're, they're, I think Aberdeen at home is like a good tie, especially in the last few years, because they've been a bit more open. They've got a bit... You know, decent players that try and play a little bit, and I think Celtic's been, you know, quite comfortable at home with them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, essentially, your answer is yes. Um, uh, yes, I just didn't want to say that. Yeah, we also want to stay on brand. Yes, yeah, we don't want. We don't want to uh, tempt fate either. Um, so it's the time. I, I don't believe. I don't believe in that. So I'm happy to do that. Oh, do, you, do you not believe in like so, Nor- Norse stuff and all that, and in, like the gods? I don't know. Actually, do you know what? I don't know where the fuck I'm going there. Um, in regards to, I am going to Vikingar. 
Soon in Larks. Maybe that's so. Yeah, As in Viking Stravanger? Viking, Viking R. It's just like the, the, the Viking we see in, in Larks. Oh, right. Okay. I thought you said you were going like to Viking and like. Um... You, you know, Viking's not a town. Stravanger, right. is it though, isn't it? Yes, it's Stavanger. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, Jesus. Um, people are switching off. Good as we <laughs> coughed I mean, close, close ties between uh, Stavanger and Bergen. Uh, and Bergen, Stavanger and Aberdeen, of course. Oil towns. Yes. Ebskovdal. It's another. Yes. Of course. He likes that. Um, so, we've got this game. Um, it's the game before the big cup final. Obviously, we don't want our eyes to go to the cup final yet. We genuinely want to, and I don't, obviously, Ange Postacoglu being how he is, I'm sure we're fully focused on this game. Um, obviously, the I mean, I was just looking at some of the results before we started recording. The Aberdeen, um, they defeated Motherwell on Saturday, three goals to one, again against a very poor team, which obviously the kind of uh, Motherwell sacked their manager um, after that. So, two poor teams in. You know, it doesn't really say a lot about the standard of either of them. Um, but before that, I mean, you know, they obviously played Rangers in the semi-final, which they took Rangers to extra time. Then they got humped off Hearts. They lost to Darvo. They got humped off Hibs. And then they lost 3-1 to St Mirren. Um, obviously, uh, Goodwin was sacked after the Hibs game. Barry Robson's now in charge. What can he do, really, in such a small period of time? I mean, he's got a good left foot. He does. Great technique. So, <laughs> that has kind of been the, I guess, challenge trying to trying to look at it now because you've had two games, I guess, under Robson. And so you don't really have much of a, a frame of reference in yeah. terms of how it might line up, you know, trying to watch the Motherwell game. <laughs> Pointless, really, because you know Aberdeen's not going to. They're not in any sort of in any phase of that game. Is can we take much from how they set up against Motherwell in terms of how they set up against Celtic? And so, so we are kind of relying a little bit on what we're good with to the team. But what I've seen so far on the Robson list, there hasn't been a massive change. I think tactically or so on or personnel. So I think they've been drawn a little bit. In terms of what we can expect, I think that's probably smart by Robson as well. I don't think he was going to come in and change loads of things. And um, one, I don't know how good he is tactically, how many ideas he has, but just in that space of time and where they are at the moment, it's kind of they just kind of, I guess, need. I don't think he's going to try something radically different because they do have the players to get into top six just by, you know. I was going to say try a bit <laughs> and just being a bit switched off, switched on and just do the basics, right? They should be able to get you know, top six, no problem. So I, I don't expect something fundamentally different from, from Aberdeen. I mean, they are, like you talk about how poor this Aberdeen side are in regards to even just looking at kind of results and stuff, but they're actually only three points off Livingston in fourth. It really is like two tables. It's obviously you get Celtic, it's actually it's like three tables. You get Celtic and Rangers and then you've got and then even then, there's almost like a 10-point gap between Celtic and Rangers. It's like there's five tables. Celtic, second table of Rangers, a third yes. table of Hearts. Um, and then there's that, you know, the, the table of everybody else. Because Celtic are on 70, Rangers are on 61, so there's a nine-point gap there. Then, obviously, there's a, almost a 20-point gap between Hearts and Rangers. 19 points. And then between 
Hearts and Livingston, there's a seven point. It's just, it's a weird league, man. It's such a weird league because I've watched Hearts a couple of times this season and I don't think they're particularly good. They're just quite consistent. And so yeah, so to yeah. travel from seventh where Hearts are and where Aberdeen are up until fourth, you know, after this game, it wouldn't put me by me if they go on a run and, you know, they're in European places. That's a funny thing with the league because, you, you, you know, I obviously reject the league table. Something, something as you know, as basic as that. But, but I mean, the serious part of that is obviously like goals are random, and you know, even just over you know, twenty four, twenty five game sample as this, and even thirty eight games, you know, a few bounces here and here will you know determine a lot of you know places, especially in the league like the Premiership. But I think it's especially relevant this season because I have also divided. Um, <laughs> the table into different groups and um, like that really underlying stats of it and you know this is and it, you can almost do this on xg as well but i kind of want to test xg up against Stephen russell's expected points because uh, that kind of strips away look if you have one bad game and let's say lots of chances you have one good one you know kind of yeah. strips that away and looks at you know divides the points out per game like the probability of you getting a result in those games. And, and what you see is, is four really clear tables coming up. In, so in respect to, you have Celtic and Rangers at the top and Celtic's up 3.6 expected points um, over Rangers. Probably something we'll come, we'll come back to next week and discussing you yeah. know, the differences between the team. But it's those two. But then down to hips, there is 22 expected points down from ranges to hips. Oh. And then there's there's a little hips and hearts are, are, are very similar in terms of there's just like 1.8 points between them. Then there's a little gap down to Aberdeen on 31 expected points. But then there's only less than five expected points down to the 10th best team on expected points table, which is St. Mirren. And then there's only another three and a half points down to Ross County, who's equal to Dundee United. So it's... I kind of divided into four. Celtic Rangers, huge gap down, down to Hibs and Hearts, a gap down to Aberdeen, Kilmarnock, Motherwell, St. Johnson, Lewis, Semarin, but they're all in the same quagmire. And then County and, and Dundee United kind of at the, at the bottom. But even within that, if you look at Hibs, 30, like say 36 expected points down to St. Mirren, 26 expected points. That's eight teams with a difference of Essentially, less than ten expected points, and remember, there's twenty-two points expected points even up to Rangers from, from him. So, even you know, essentially below Rangers, there's there's a lot smaller gap between Hibs and Dundee United, who's like the worst team on expected points than there is between Hibs and Rangers. So, as you say, like this league, it's very much like Celtic on top, Rangers a bit below, and then pretty much every other team. Below that, I mean, because there's, there's different shades of, of, of grey essentially in terms of that, but it's very even as you say, any almost any team I think can go on a run here and get top six, and vice versa, go on and get a bottom six. I mean, obviously, Hearts has taken enough points, so, so they'll be fine, but and Hips as well. But it's there's really no standouts, you, you know. I look at I look at the can obviously Motherwell don't have a job, um, don't have a job, don't have a manager, yes. Aberdeen don't have a manager. And you look at some of the names that are being floated about, and it's like Ian Holloway, Jack Ross. You know, I, you know, I, you know. One thing I'll say about Ian Holloway, 
he seems like a nice guy and he seems like a bit of a character. <laughs> That's what I was going to say as well. Like, I, I, quite, like I quite like him, but at the same time, you know, he was kind of, I don't want to use the phrase irrelevant, but he wasn't, you know, a progressive young manager. You know, he, he's a guy who had his time in the sun, what, 10 years ago? So I, I, it's just, it's, yeah. although having said that, someone like Ian Holloway who might come in bring in different ideas, I can understand why they would look at that. But like Jack Ross, like, Fucking hell. We know what he's going to do and you know where it's going to fail. I think when you get these these jobs comes up, I think it's often you seem like it's quite a false arbitrary kind of choice between, oh, they should bring in somebody brand new, like a huge hipster and play this way, or, oh, they're just going to go through tried and tested. And I think first of all, I think we could just be have a solid competent tactical managers like it's not so you don't have to come in and play like, like you know red bull pressing or complete ticket tack or you know whatever it's just i think some of just like genuinely pretty competent points <laughs> and who actually tries to play a little bit and have like a system of like a, especially some possession football but you know nothing wild would be good but i think Again, I think it's a lot to do that kind of manager go around. I think it's deeper than that in Scottish football. I, I don't think it's going to, even if you hire a really good manager, it might help, but I don't think it's going to significantly change the culture of these kind of clubs and, and the rot. And I, I think there needs to be something a lot deeper and a lot more long term and a lot just like sensible running of these clubs. We talked about it so many times Hibs, Hearts, Aberdeen. As three clubs that run properly should simply do a lot better. Is is but that's, as easy as that? But yeah. I mean, one of the things about that I was quite hopeful of with Hibs and Aberdeen specifically is, you know, they brought in two manager the, the guys who own them essentially are American, and you yeah. thought they would bring kind of new, kind of different sport. You know, sports analytics is huge in baseball and American football and stuff, and you think they'd be like, okay, well, that's where how we can gain a little bit of ground on the big two. But then when you put Lee Johnson and, you know... I know, it seems like they pay the lip service to those kind of things. And I just don't know if they're fully committed or they just have the knowledge to implement it properly. Because it seems a bit, you know, not to use a... You know, stereotypical cliche about a cowboy and some of them, especially Epps, you know, and you know, in Aberdeen, yeah, I know, you know, let's talk about all that, but you don't really see the evidence of it, like a bit around the edges. But it's like this, this doesn't seem to be a clear, coherent plan uh, in terms of having to do that. And it, it's, I know it's easy to go and pick examples from, say, Boulder Glimpse or stuff like that, but there are examples of clubs at Boulder Glimpse and others where. Even in a Norwegian, like relatively Norway, they have a low budget, but they just go in, and it's, it's not even rocket science. It's just like a very clear vision, you know, um, wanting to learn things, setting on a certain policy, um, like the whole what I call it holistic ending, and just keep doing it year after year. And like you can do that. Any one of those three clubs can do a border club. In, in you know, a matter of fact, maybe it'd be tough to like really push for the title, but it you, you should be able to push Celtic f- for the title some seasons with that budget. 
like not it, it, it's difficult to keep a cycle going like that because you know you sell your best players but it should be possible to push them along if you do everything correctly. Just be closer. I just don't think just... it's outside the realm of possibility that one of them should be doing it one or two seasons. I mean, the fact the fact that we've talked about how close all the other teams are, like, if you beat everyone else and then you lose all of the games to Celtic, you know, you're still going to be a lot closer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, anyway, back to Aberdeen. Um, you got some stats for us? Stats, of course. So... I think overall with uh, expected goals, expected points, Aberdeen's quite, you know, they're in the middle. You know, and if you try to break the stats down, you, you get you get pretty much the same offensive stats about what you expect. You know, they're about four, fifth, sixth in the league in a different offensive stat. Possession, fifth, everything. You know, fifth most passes, fifth, fifth most possession, pass rates, everything. Um, pressing as well, like around the same. So, but they're not really, so everything is pretty mid, like literally and metaphorically. Um, but it's the defensive stats that, that's really fascinating with Aberdeen this season because they concede the seventh most shots against. And you go, oh, it's a bit below average, but that's, you know, it's not that surprising. But then expected goals conceded 11th. Like, and then the average. Shot quality against, so you take your XG and divide it by the shots. Worse than the league, <laughs> in terms of. So, but then you look at like the the territory that they concede. So they're fourth best when it comes to not letting opponents into their own half. Fifth best in the final third, but then you get seventh best when they enter your own box. But so a bit below marriage. But I think something in those stats kind of tells me there must be something in the way that Aberdeen sets up this season that they're a bit of a. In want of a better phrase, I guess the soft belly. Like they, because the first thing I thought, like, okay, they, they, don't, they don't concede that much territory. They don't let their opponents into their half that much. I thought, oh, but they concede a lot of shots. So maybe, and especially like big quality chances. So I thought, okay, well, maybe it's the counters against, you know, they're weak on counter attacks. You know, they, they don't let teams in much, but when they do, it's, it's dangerous. But then I dive into the stats a bit more and, if anything, they actually suggest that Aberdeen has a weakness when teams kind of build up their attack against them, right? So it's in a situation where it's that called a positional play. So it's not a counter-attack. You know, they, they are fairly organized um, and it's those type of attacks against because in terms of the percentage of shots conceded from open play, uh, just just those and the percentage of those that are from build-up play against. So, in terms of how many of those open play shots do the teams concede from build-up play, and how many percentage do they concede from counter-attacks? Aberdeen is the third highest when it comes to build-up. And, and the two highest are St. Merrin and Livingston. That's that's team you expect to concede a high proportion of their shots from build-up play, because they sit low, right? Yeah. And not many counters against them. But then you look at, okay, I looked at how many of those kind of build-up attacks against leads to a shot against against Aberdeen. And against, they're the third worst. So it's only Dundee United and Ross County, the two worst teams, like stats-wise, that concedes a shot from a higher percentage of the build-up attacks against. So I think the issue, like kind of what the stats points to, is that there's an issue when they're defending when they're when they're setting up organized. It's not that they get hit on a lot of counters. It's just there's something 
a weakness there about when they're supposed to be organized and they have players behind the ball, but teams are still getting two chances and big chances against them more than almost any other team in the league. So you, I think that's for me, you go, you have to look at the coach and you have to look at some of the tactical choices is, is done this year. And I think in the games we've seen them and the games have kind of analyzed them like but all over the place. Really? Yeah. Um, Aberdeen, obviously, for the Motherwell game, they played a back three. They had scales. Robson yes. had scales at the centre of the back three. Now, that's obviously not going to happen because obviously scales can't play against this. But putting him in that kind of, you know, I guess that would be the spare role, I guess the, the libero in a way. But, like, nice. why. Why do you think he's done that? Do you think I mean, he's seen kids, something in it? Kids, kids under thirty don't want to, don't know what the Libra is. Still, go. I know what it is. Of course, you know what it is. But okay. I mean, do, do you think going to a back three is going to help solve the problems? Because I looking at this midfield, right? So the midfield they played against Motherwell, and mm-hmm. again, Motherwell are all over the place, and they sacked um, the manager straight after it. Um, that midfield five of Hayes and Kennedy wide. I know Hayes is a little bit older, but Hayes and Kennedy are good players. Ramadani, Clarkson, and Shinny. That mm-hmm. I mean, that's 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 a better midfield than a lot of midfields in the Scottish Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Shinny's just you know coming in January in, in terms of he's captain now as well. Yeah, of course he is. Um, it is, and you, you do look at that set of players. Okay, I know Shinny's just coming now as well, and there's. That's a decent midfield. Like outside Celtic and Rangers, I think it's probably the best set of players, especially I think offensively. Yeah. I mean, de- defensively, it's, I mean, it's not good. And it, you can, <laughs> I think some of like, you know, the defensive stats we talked about is purely like individual errors as well. But that, that is the kind of what I've been thinking about this before this game is how is he going to structure that midfield? Because you do have the ability to structure that midfield quite well, and I think cause Celtic some issues. And but it's just this thing. Even if you take a little bit back, this was the really difficult thing on the Goodwin because he he was so random in the way he set up his team. So like we talked like the Rangers game in October at Ibrox, it was a three five two, but it was really high, like really aggressive, like loads of space. And I remember like it was even like it was the centre backs. The wide center like that pushed out on the wingers, yeah. And like they go one 0 up, the Rangers win four one. Honestly, they should have had seven or eight. Yeah, and it's all over the place. And then you come to December, so that's a, that's a mad setup from Goodwin, right? But then they come to December in that game against Celtic after the World Cup. It's so passive and it's so low. And like you know, we've gone and sat and talked on these like here and on the review about. Celtic facing this 5-3-2 and how the different team does McGregor man marking, how they use their like white centre-backs and all that. And these are teams like Kamarx and Johnson, Livingston, St. Marin, you know. None of those teams have been as passive and as low as cowardly in their fight in this in exact same formation than, than Ross Goodwin. That game was just mad. It was, how many times have we sat and analysed Aberdeen games and go, Derek McGuinness, ha, I could win, like, I've done himself in terms of the tactical choices, but then okay, so so but then you go to Rangers December, like they meet Rangers at home, the three five two again, they lose the two 0 up. But then the, you mentioned the semi final there, 
and I, I hadn't watched it at that time. So I went back and watched it for this game uh, a little bit because I've started my Rangers prep as well. But again, and this is obviously one of the good wins last game, but they play a 4 2 3 1. But when they defended, they set up in a 4 4 2. Quite similar to how Celtic set up in Europe to press. And you had the two strikers, or actually you had Clarkson uh, pushed up again uh, beside uh, Mavoski, the striker. And then Duke and Kennedy as wingers in the NF4, and then Shinny and Ramadani in the middle. And it's really high up. Like the, the press range is really high up. They, uh, you know, they, they kind of try to use those two strikers and the two central midfielders kind of boxing ranges mid. And um, as I say, Duke um, and Kennedy on the left, uh, and they have a back four. And to be honest, it worked really well. It did. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that was, again, it was a lot more ambitious, a lot more aggressive, higher up than when they face Celtic. We've seen Team do through this against Rangers have a completely different approach in Celtic. It is really well. So I, I did look at that because after, like, I think um, I took a wee note in terms of after that game, like, I think it was the Ross County game, it was the 3rd of January. For the next five, I think it's six games with the Darvel. They keep a back four, right? And then also Goodwin sacked and having Robson do a back four in the first game, then it goes to a back three in this, the last game against Motherwell. So again, you kind of go, oh, it's going to go three, five, two again, isn't it? And, but in the back of my mind as well, I go, I mean, going to four, four, two against Celtic maybe wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. And with the players he has, I, I'm just interested in whether. For once, a team's actually going to go. No, we're going to actually try and go high against Celtic, and do. And maybe he had a look at Saint Marin the other game as well, and says like, "You, you press Celtic high, like oh, yeah, it's very risky, but if if you do it correctly, you know, show that the Celtic team might sometimes struggle a little bit with it." I mean, you're talking about a team that has two players who've get double figures. You know, Majowski's got 14, Duke's got 10. And I know that Duke is the type of player because, you know, he's still a little bit raw, but like, he, you know, he's hot and cold, but when he's on form, he's very good. And Majowski, when he doesn't get that service, maybe doesn't, you know, tick along as, as maybe as well as he should. But, you know, as you say, when they press, and I, I watched the Rangers game, the semi-final, um, they cause you problems. Yeah, I, I look at that midfield as I say. You know, I, I really, I really like Ramadani. I think he's, I think he's quite good on the ball. And you know, when Shinny's in behind and Clarkson, I think is a talented young man as well. Is it will be one of their kind of ideas, maybe to or midfield to kind of just flood it because that's that's what St Mirren seemed to do on Saturday, or, or for, certainly from what I could see in my seat. Is that is that something they might do? I, that's what I was thinking in terms of, and I think. What did they do against Rangers? Usually they have um, Duke as one of the top, like front two, and they play against it. And they put him on on the edge of the, like, the right hand side of the midfield. And I think that's, I don't think that's a bad idea because what you do then, you push Clarkson up when you press as a two. Sam Mirren did this as well, they had two strikers, and then you have Shinny and Ramadani behind him. I mean, I guess Shinny's getting a bit older, but Ramadani's not the quickest, but it's the two good workhorses. Yeah. I, th- I think they suit that role. And you have Clarkson. So I guess, say against Celtic, what I would do uh, if I was Barry Robson, imagine, um, I work on my right foot. 
and, and I, you know, you, you have you put, push Clarkson up, but you probably use him as somebody who's sitting on McGregor as well. So you can push up a bit at the centre backs, but then you fall back. Then you have Shinny Ramadani behind you, and you can kind of create that box with Mivoski, Clarkson on top, and then Shinny and Ramadani behind. It. Like that box of four, you were trying to buy box in McGregor. And the two no braids beat say same say it's Moy and Hatati. Like box them in and fill that gap. And then you have Duke and Kennedy on each side. Like, okay, they're wide, but see if Greg Taylor comes in or Alistair Johnston come in. Like they follow them, so you always have that player. And the the kind of calculation you have to make then is that if you do that, you can flood the middle, you can have one more player than Celtic at any time through the middle. The gamble you take is obviously you leave four defenders against three Celtic attackers. So yeah. you leave the fullbacks on the wings and one, like like two centre-backs on the Celtic striker. So obviously that's the gamble you have to take. But St. Mirren, oh, I know they had three centre-backs, but they pushed the centre-backs up and, and they did it in, in a large degree. And that, it, I think all these, especially when you face a team like Celtic, is all about, you know, where do you sacrifice the space? It's Rafa beneath his blanket. Yeah, I managed to squeeze it in again. You know, you have to sacrifice something. And I think what you do against Celtic, you probably sacrifice the, the sides. And you say, because you, if the fullbacks stay at wide, that's fine. You know, the wingers, you just have to cope with the wingers um, at wide. But you crowd the centre and you keep the centre crowded and, and create, you know, push, try to, maybe try and push Celtic up. But whatever you do, don't give them space in the middle. If you have to give up space anywhere, it's, it's out wide. And I think you can do that pretty effectively with, with that kind of like four four two. Yeah, and I think this is the thing about, you know, this is one situation where we kind of really don't know what they're going to do um, because obviously Barry Robson being, I think he's got the next couple of, I mean, this is the thing about someone like Robson. I'm a huge fan of Barry Robson as a player. I don't think he should be the Aberdeen manager. I don't think he's got enough experience. I don't think he's... You know, I, I, the idea of interim managers coming in and having a nice spell and then getting the job full time really You, you know how that's going to pan out. Yeah, you know, you know, it's not going to you know full time. So, you know, three or four at the back, we don't quite know. But you, you kind of think with scales out, even though they didn't go to like five at the back last time, but it scales out as well. I, I, you know, you kind of get a feeling like okay, just play two centre backs then. And, but I, I mean, they, they might go. Like I can see the you know, kind of appeal of putting Johnny Hayes and Kennedy as well, because you know, again, the experienced players, you know, out wide. But I, I don't know. I, 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 maybe because I've seen so many five three twos against Celtic lately, I kind of hope to go four for two, um, and especially defensively. Well, at least see something new. Uh, you're pre- I've, I've got a question for you that I'll bring you into in a, in a second, but your prediction for this game, um, Celtic Aberdeen? 2 0 Celtic. And before we move so, on as well, do you think Ange is going to make a lot of changes or do you think it'll be like business uh, as usual? No, I, I don't think so. I think, you know, we didn't make many changes for St. Marin, um and we won. Game a week. I think he wants to keep it ticking over. I guess it's the only like Kyogo is, is obviously the question mark. And then, sorry, but I don't think it's going to be David Hernbull again. I think I think somebody else is going to come in. But I guess the interesting thing now is you. I I wouldn't be surprised 
if he, you know, if the team against Aberdeen isn't the team against Rangers, but I, I, I could see it being it. Like, okay, Kyogo is the one question mark, but you would think he want to give his players that he wants to start against Rangers a start here. Yeah. You know, I think it would tell you quite a bit of what he's, he's thinking about. And I guess, look, we kind of know the team. Like, I think it was, Kyogo might have a dominant effect in terms of, okay, do you put Owen, do you put Mayer in? If Mayer does go through the middle, who's wide, wide? But the only other question is, is it Aaron Moy or Matt O'Reilly? So I think it'd be interesting to see what he chooses in this game. Because I think if he goes with Aaron Moy here, I can't really see Matt O'Reilly getting a start because then he hasn't had a start in, you know, the last two games. So uh, I think that's almost as interesting as, what the lineup is going to get but then it's, it's what does it mean uh, f- for the final yeah absolutely we've got lots of uh, um, coverage of the, the the big final coming up so uh, yeah look out for it uh, we're going to end on a question we got this ish by the way, I can't wait for you to have somebody from the Heart and Hand podcast on for, for the for the weekend update next. That that'll be interesting. Do you know so. you, you're not you're the you're the first person to ask make a joke about that Christian? So it's terrific. <laughs> Am I? Oh, that's good. I'm usually not first for this. Uh, got a question, uh, Sean sent in a question. Um, we didn't have time for it on uh, the the weekly, unfortunately. So. Um, Now's a good time to ask it. Um, Sorry, so, Sean, you, you stuck with me. Yeah. So. Um, hi, guys, and actually, also, this is a very Christian Wolf question as well. Thanks. Um, Thanks. Hi, guys. Bit of a double question here, centered around Callum McGregor. He's obviously still an excellent player at SPFL level, but I feel like going into the Champions League next season with him at the six could be a real weak point. In order to make the sa- in order not to make the same mistakes we made with Scott Brown, should we be looking for his replacement already? And how do we, f- and also how do we find a future captain with no youth players coming through and a more aggressive transfer strategy that won't see players stra- staying as long? That's a really interesting question, Sean. Um, McGregor, are we writing McGregor off too long? Is, is Sean writing McGregor off too too early? That's that's a that's a big shout from Sean. Um, I know some nerds will be really unhappy with that, Chris. Um, no, I I think if I could choose. Callum McGregor in the six or eight next season. I choose him in the six. I, I still think he has the the physical capability of doing that role really well because it is it is less physical demanding than the eight. And I think he is. I still think he's, he's one of the absolute players every week. Um, I do think Rio Tati is, is Celtic's best midfielder this season um, but it is a very different kind of, of midfielder as well so no I, I I would go into Champions League next season with Callum McGregor in the six I, I will say though like Tom waits for no man like, it, it, it will be the same with, with Callum McGregor and while I think he's got more years in the six I mean he's played a lot a lot of games over his career and it's Okay, the, the interest might be coincidental and, and so on, but you do need to have a plan because you hope he's not injured, but even just in terms of, and I know Anches, like he goes into training, he sets the standard, he, he wants to play every single game and that's, that's good. And you can, you can see that on the field and I think that bears fruit on the field, but you need to have a plan because I think he, he might well get more injured. He might well have to have a bit more rest and 
maybe you want to give him a little bit of competition as well. I guess that what Ibata is there from. So, well, I don't think, you know, I, I don't don't share Sean's concern next season. But it's, it's probably now you should make a plan for it. Yeah. Yeah. Although, you, know, you know, a bit more medium planned and short term, but yeah, absolutely. Um, in regards to the question about future captains, you know, with if we do keep this kind of aggressive transfer strategy where people leave, I know that captain season isn't necessarily a big thing for you personally, but it still is seen as a kind of marker for I know it's a British football thing as 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 much in your Norwegian and you don't have like you you Look, have it's no, a really big pretty big thing for me when I was named the captain around the twelve team. So <laughs> I know like you're dead inside so you don't have like emotions like a robot. I went out and bought my own captain's armor. Yeah. So, um pathetic. But there you go. Yeah. Um, but no but that, I mean obviously you still have to have a captain. Captaincy is still a thing. And it is yeah. just it is just like you know and let's not even necessarily say you know, after McGregor, let's say that's like four years' time. You know, I, do you think captaincies is a thing that might just drop out of the game? I, I don't think leadership is ever a thing that would drop out of the game. I, I, th- I think it is. The status of it and the importance of it is probably a lot, you know, more in, in British football, yeah. Um, it seems to be like an but, but, administrative, an, an administrative point of thing now. Like when, you know, you go and you take the you do, you have the to do the toys. and like you yeah. Know. No, but even it's, even it's a bit of that HR at the start here. So you have to take them around and. But even just like you know, joking aside, right? Even like just every team that plays a game, you have to do the coin toss. You have to go and get ah. the the thing and all that. Like it is still, maybe it is just an administrative idea, but there's still going to be captains. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I. I, I, I it is a way of trying to foster leadership and give that responsibility, but it's, I, I guess, it's a management style thing as well. Like you know, Cal McGregor's management style, captain style, is it's different from Scott Brown. Um, but every player or everybody who's around Scott Brown, you know, just said he set the standard and he, he was, you know, somebody they never seen the, the likes of. And I think Cal McGregor in his own way is that as well. So. It, it, for me, it's more not just arm, but it, you do need to have leaders, and you need leaders to become leaders and develop into leaders. And they do that in different ways, be it you know um, driving the team essentially tactically, and then play talking them through games, and or be it outside. And you know, any group of people, you'll have people who are more comfortable in certain roles within that. Some people wouldn't want the leadership role. They have you know, another part of the group and stuff. But yeah, but you also get leaders in different shapes, I think. So I, I really just got two words for you. Uh, it's, um, it's Greg Taylor. I know it was going to be that. So You're so predictable. You're so, so mind predictable. You, it'll be four or five years' time. He's, he's getting, he's, he's always falling off the age curve. And, uh, I, I'd get rid of him now, back, so. frankly. I'd get, if you are not 17, <laughs> then you're too old, as far as I can tell. Uh Christian, this has been a pleasure as always. Um, as we say, uh, we'll be starting our coverage uh, of the coming up to the League Cup final coming up on Sunday with the Senate Chronicles, so check that out. Christian, we'll see you on Tuesday for the review with uh, our good friend Graham McKay. For you, and then next Friday, I'm planning a three-hour special on the use of Rangers' use of the half spaces. Only three hours? Uh, well, the, well, the left hand side, and then I'll, I'll move over to the right hand. Side. Lovely, Six, sixty-seven so. hours would be would yes. be ideal. Sixty-seven, okay. sixty-seven, yeah. nice. nice. Uh, Christian, pleasure as always. We'll speak to you soon, sir. Uh-huh.
I'm joined now by Glenn from the Red Tinted Glasses podcast, an Aberdeen fan podcast. Hi, Glenn. How are you? Hi, Chris. I'm very well, thank you. Thank you for uh, inviting me on. Thank you for coming on. Uh, real pleasure to have you on the show. Um, Aberdeen, Celtic uh, taking on Aberdeen on Saturday, um, 3 p.m. kickoff at Celtic Park. Um, what's your kind of? Can you? Obviously, there are a lot of things that have happened over this season, but what's your kind of thoughts on Aberdeen's season so far? Um, the season so far started off great and then the World Cup happened <laughs> and uh, everything's been terrible since. Um, worst result in our history thrown yeah. in there as well. Um, and yeah, just a, a real unbelievable slump that I don't think many of us saw coming. Um, you know, I don't think we've really shown ourselves up well in games against Celtic this season. But outside of that, you know, I've been encouraged by some of our um, forward play, you know, the signing of Boyan Miowski has been a real revelation alongside Duke as well. But defensively, we've just not got things right this season at all. Um, and that's really been our Achilles heel since the return of the break. Um, and yeah, we've, we've gone from being clear in third place to now sitting in the bottom six with really giving ourselves a tough eight games to try and get back into that top six and, and fight for European football, which is ultimately what we need to be achieving come the end of the season. Yeah. I was actually, you know, one of the questions I was going to ask is like, what is, what does, what do the Aberdeen support kind of demand? What do they want? What's their kind of long term kind of, what, what's, what does this good season look like essentially for you guys? <laughs> I suppose it depends what type of fan you ask. Um, I think, you know, you know, realistically, we're not going to be winning the league as much as we would like to be winning the league. But I think as long as we're putting in a significant challenge to the likes of Celtic and Rangers, that could be seen. We should be up there fighting for third alongside Hearts as a minimum, but it'd be great to be at least putting some pressure on the top two. Um and yeah, to be honest, personally, I'm not content with just getting to Hamden in terms of a semi-final. I think we need to be getting to finals as well. So that still hurts as well that we didn't convert that that semi-final in the League Cup. And then obviously, well, the embarrassment of the Scottish Cup is going to live long in the memory yeah. um, for seasons to come as well. So really disappointing that once again, the um, Cup runs haven't been too significant Um I mean, people maybe think I'm being harsh without league cup run because it was a first um, trip back to Hamden for a while. But yeah, when you're leading in that that semi final, it was just painful not to see it through. Yeah, I mean, I was watching. I think every Celtic fan was watching that league cup <laughs> semi as well. But what kind of went wrong from that point of view? Because you seem to have Rangers on the ropes, and we we uh, our analyst Christian um, was kind of talking about it um, earlier on, and he was saying that Aberdeen set up pretty well for it and a little bit differently from how they normally kind of set up what do you think went wrong against Rangers yeah for the first time I actually thought we had the game plan right against Rangers when we kind of took the game to them instead of what well like we saw in the previous clash between Aberdeen and Celtic where at Pataudry where we just sat off Celtic and absorbed pressure for as long as we could so I liked that sort of thing but it doesn't really help when your captain chucks it um, deep into injury time, going into extra time as well. That that was a big blow, but I just felt that we got a bit naive um, and I thought we maybe drew some confidence from that Celtic game that we'd sought um, Pataudry, where almost Jim Goodwin thought, oh, if we can do it for 80 odd minutes against Celtic, I'm sure we can do it for 20 minutes at Hamden against Rangers. And we just began to sat back um, and that was really disappointing because when we were on the front foot and taking the game to Rangers, we were causing them problems. I think the pitch and fitness did 
begin to catch up with us a little bit um, as well. And I, know, I mean, look, they they need a huge deflection, um, and it had to be Ryan Jack that scored as well to um, you know rub further salt into the wounds as well. But you know, it wasn't. I think that was painful as well. It wasn't like it was a well worked goal. It wasn't something a piece of brilliance from Rangers as well. Um, it was a huge deflection. I think I think it was off Liam Scales actually into the bottom corner. So yeah, that was painful because I think up until that point we were in cruise control. Yeah, uh, yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, that game against Celtic at the, uh, you know, just about, I think it was the seventeenth of December. Uh, yeah, we we win one nil. Um, great goal by Cal McGregor. You know, as Celtic fans, uh, you know the the place. That I, personally, I love when Celtic go to Petodre because usually, you know, as much as we we tend to win, <laughs> it's usually quite a good game and it's usually mm-hmm. pretty competitive. And Aberdeen always kind of make a give us a good game essentially. Um, mm-hmm. I was really disappointed. I was just really disappointed with that performance, even from a you know from, a, from an outside you know looking in, because Aberdeen were really really passive and you know Celtic really. I know we it was only one 0 but we could have won by a couple more, and it was just a bit of luck on the day. How did the Aberdeen fans kind of react to that sort of passive performance? I mean, we were dumbfounded by that. I mean, it depends. I think at half time, I was furious that we were giving too much respect. I think I tweeted out at the time that, you know, typical Aberdeen v Celtic, giving them far too much respect. You know, I always speak about Aberdeen v Celtic games and I spoke about on the podcast this week as well, how important that midfield battle between the two is. And and we always highlight Callum McGregor as a key figure in that Celtic midfield as being able to dictate the tempo. Yeah. And I said, if we can, you know, squash that Celtic midfield and you've got the likes of Yota as well, who, when he gets a bit of freedom, can, can dictate or produce a moment of magic and I just felt that we were giving Celtic too much respect but you know a few of my friends turned to me and said look Glenn you know we're only 45 minutes in maybe that's the game plan you know sit back and then we'll 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 take the game to Celtic in the second half you know maybe try and use their fitness against them and I thought okay well okay I never really considered that as a, as a viewpoint so I'll give you all the benefit of the doubt and we'll see what the second half brings but oh it was just a, a second 45 training session for Celtic and I think the fact that given how imperious our home form was going into that game only Motherwell had beaten us yeah. at home domestically it, it was just beggar's belief that we didn't show a bit more intent a bit more hunger to take the the game to Celtic, and I think then you know the conspiracy theorists will love the fact that three days later we take the game to Rangers, albeit we still lose. But it just shows what we can do when we actually play on the front foot. So, I mean, you could argue from you know if you're depending which way you look at it, you were three minutes away from a perfect game plan and getting a point off of Celtic, but. When you're playing at home to the old firm, I mean, you just look at what St Mirren did to yourselves this season. They've taken three points off of you. You've got to be like a club like Aberdeen thinking, well, if they can do it, we should 100% be able to. Yeah, I mean, with the greatest of respect to St Mirren, of course. Yeah, I, I mean, the, the game uh, last weekend, we, we've covered it on our podcast, certainly. Um, it finished 5 1, mm. but for 70 minutes of that game, like St Mirren gave us a good game. And, and you know, you can look at the kind of final score and be, oh, 5-1, it's a drubbing and all that. And I think four of the goals came in the last, what, 12 minutes, 14 minutes. Yeah. But, you know, they, they had a game plan and it was to press us really high and it was to kind of not let settle and, and, and kind of, you know, we're so used to playing the low block, you know, that kind of really deep kind of line block hitting us in the counter that 
we can do it in our sleep now. Whereas when someone mm. kind of presses us, it's about, oh, okay, we've got a game in our hand. Um, with that in mind, how do you think, obviously, um, Barry Robson's in, uh, he's in charge at the moment. Um, how do you think he's going to set up? I mean, it's kind of hard to predict. Yeah, it is hard to predict, but it's even harder given our defensive issues going into the game. And I don't just mean in general in terms of the fact that we've got the worst defence in the league. <laughs> um, I mean that in the fact that both Ross McCrory is suspended and, of course, Liam Scales is ineligible for this game. So we're going into this game with uh, a new centre-half pairing. Um, they've played one game together um, at centre-back each. Uh, Matty Pollock played right-back against Motherwell. So you've got Angus McDonald and Matty Pollock, who looked solid enough in the in the in the game we saw them at centre back, but to be honest, that's not coming up against a Celtic attack that is in free scoring form. Yeah. So for me this will be the real test. And then to caveat that as well, you've got at left back Johnny Hayes, who we don't know on his fitness after his concussion substitution against Motherwell. And you've got young Jack McKenzie, who's not played since coming off injured against Kilmarnock on the 28th of December. He did make the matchday squad against Motherwell, but um, hasn't played, um, as I said, since Kilmarnock. So you've got that bit of dodginess on the left side, inexperience in the middle, and then Matty Kennedy probably at right back, who admittedly I think did very well up against Yota last time out um, in keeping him quiet, but doing that Pataudry compared to Celtic Park is um, a totally different kettle of fish. So I think Barry Robson, he's got nothing to lose for me in this game. And I think the general consensus from an Aberdeen point of view is, as much as I said on the podcast this week, I hate calling this game a free hit. It, it feels like a bit of a free hit this weekend. Barry Robson isn't going to get judged on what happens this weekend. Um, Barry Robson will get judged at what happens against Livingston next weekend, which is a, a huge game for us in terms of our top six yeah. ambitions. Yeah, um, But I just hope that he sets the team up to have a go because we, I mean, albeit I've noticed Celtic's improved defensive record. Um, I just don't want us to be sitting behind the ball, but I also don't want us to take a 5-6-0 defeat and kind of ruin maybe any confidence that was just building on the back of that Motherwell win. Yeah, yeah, I completely understand that. Um, you know, we made when we were doing the kind of analysis. We, you know, uh, Ramadani, Shinny, and Clarkson. That's quite a solid midfield. Is that is that kind of one of the positives of of the current setup? Yeah, absolutely. And that was something that I kind of picked up um, in terms of that midfield battle this weekend. Was that we've finally kind of solidified that midfield. Um, Graham Shinnick coming back has been a huge boost to the team. He's given us that kind of defensive platform to almost build on. Um, him and Ramadani can interchange on who's the sitting midfielder and who's the driving midfielder. And we've kind of freed up Leighton Clarkson. Um, he was playing as that number six as in Motherwell, that, that infamous Barry Robson interview now on Red TV. But um, that was probably one of his best games, Leighton Clarkson, in terms of the freedom of the pitch he had and his vision and, and pass. I mean, it's well documented. The assist he got for that third goal, the, the outside of the foot pass, Excellent. was simply sublime. So adding that to his repertoire of stunning goals this season. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's easy to judge them against the likes of Motherwell, but this is where the the team midfield defensive forward line are really going to be tested and what we really see that they're made of this weekend but they did well against rangers in that semi-final but playing well and getting a decent result is a different matter yeah um in regards to obviously 
Robson's in, in, in charge currently. Um, there's been kind of some chat that, you know, if he does well over the next couple of games, he'll certainly be in the running. Um, who 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 would you be looking at? Who would you see as a, an ideal candidate for Aberdeen manager? <laughs> I keep getting asked this um, a lot this, this week and I honestly couldn't give you a solid answer of one name that I like as, as a candidate. Certainly domestically, there's nobody jumping out and I'd be like, yeah, definitely take him. Uh, and there's a few foreign names that have you know, peaked interest and think, oh, that'd be quite intriguing. You know, you look at the success obviously Celtic have had going with, with Ange and someone that was not familiar to the Scottish game. But the problem that Aberdeen have got is the last two appointments haven't worked out. Yeah. You know, last season was a huge failure on and off the pitch. And, you know, we've now put ourselves behind behind the eight ball in terms of hearts when you look at them getting European group stages. And we simply can't afford to miss out on Europe this season. And that also then doubles down to the fact we simply can't afford to get this managerial appointment wrong as well and have yet another season of disappointment on the pitch. So um, I'm glad it's going to be Alan Burrows and and Dave Cormack looking after that decision and not the fans, because the fans are definitely split on who they'd like to see. Is there a kind of consensus, not even necessarily in regards to names, but in regards to what you want from a manager? Um, Because I know know guys like, you know, I'm not I'm not a fan anymore, but you know, someone like <laughs> Neil Lennon has been mentioned and you know, you, you look at his record and you know, it, it's kinda decent what he did at Hibs and stuff. You obviously the Celtic thing's very different, but would mm-hmm. would it be someone like, you know, an old school sort of British football manager or kind of Irish football manager, or would it be a young progressive guy? Well, I certainly hope it's not Neil Lennon, I'll put <laughs> that out there. But um I don't know, again, it's difficult because if you read the statements that, that have come out from the club, they speak about wanting a manager that will, you know, build on the philosophy of the club and, and kind of the mindset where the club is going, which is creating an entertaining brand of football, but also developing young players. Now, would an old school British manager do that in terms of the entertaining football or would they just favour the good old fashioned 1-0 wins and it doesn't matter what style of football you play because it's a results-based business at the end of the day? Yeah. So this is where you're kind of caught in that catch-22 because I don't really think Jim Goodwin suited that philosophy that we had in terms of entertaining football because his St Mirren team wasn't entertaining to watch. But he tried it, had success, but he couldn't keep the back door shut, (laughs) ultimately. Um, So I don't see it being an old-school British manager, um, but I wouldn't be opposed to keeping Barry Robson in that coaching staff um, with a new manager that comes in and Steve Agnew seems to be getting glowing reviews from people that have worked with him previously and it'll be interesting to see between now and the end of the season or ha- for however long um, he's still involved with the club if he's also retained uh, in future. Um, how are the fans in regard to how Aberdeen's been run? Obviously the stadium and kind of the fact that two managers have been pretty big failures. Is there any sort of discontent with the the kind of the board or anything? Are, are we at that stage yet? Um, maybe teetering on it. Um, I think this is why we're speaking about a lot of pressure being on this next appointment because, again, you look at... I think there was a lot of anger last season. Um, you know, a lot of people calling Stephen Glass the friend of Dave Cormack given that they lived, you know, very close to each other in Atlanta. I think the, the news of his arrival was widely leaked before Derek had even departed and, yeah. you know, the, the thought of it how rigorous was that that process that Dave Cormack pulled out? 
Um, you know, a lot of us very sceptical on that. So I think that the failure of Stephen Glass put pressure on the Jim Goodwin appointment. The Jim Goodwin appointment ultimately failing um, has now put further pressure on the board. So, you know, there's maybe a few murmurings. You know, I've been vocal in my displeasure of Cormac at times. I certainly thought his interview after the Hibs game was maybe a cover-up for some of his decision-making and trying to win over the fans in terms of, look, I do care about what's going on. Um, But yeah, I think the pressure is on for this one. The stadium, again, that's another topic that divides the fan base as well. Um, But again, we also need support from the council on that matter as well. But right now, I think first and foremost, from a fan's point of view, we want to see things getting right on the pitch before we start going back to the stadium matters because it doesn't matter what size of stadium we play and we want to be winning games of football. Um, that's that's what it comes down to um, <laughs> yeah. ultimately. Um, just finally on just a, a quick one in the stadium, you know, the Celtic support have um, kind of put out uh, just this morning, um, the Green Brigade have put out a kind of video about them trying to get one of the full sections at Celtic Park, one of the full stands, uh, to be a standing section is that yep. something that you guys would be looking to push for in, in the new stadium yeah absolutely and it's something that the rob wicks the commercial director is fully behind um in engaging as well you know obviously we've currently got the full stand behind the the gold and the red shed as it's called is a safe standing section without actual safe standing because yeah. it's still all the, the seating there um, but um, 100% something the club are looking to do. They just can't facilitate it at Pataudry due to the costs. Well, that's what we get told anyway. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, Glenn, this has been an absolute pleasure, a joy. Uh, can I get a prediction for for Saturday? You know, just your kind of thoughts on what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm not really hoping much. I'm laughing because somebody commented on our YouTube video, can we just give Celtic a 2-0 victory and move on? And I said, well, I'd rather just give them a 1-0 victory because I don't want our goal difference affected too much. Um, look, to be honest, anything other than a heavy defeat, I'll, I'll take. I mean, I'd bite your hand off right now for a draw, but if you want me to put a score on it, I think I'll say 3-0 Celtic. Fair play. Uh, great stuff. Uh, Glenn, it's been an absolute pleasure and uh, I'm sure we'll speak to you again, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me on.